Hot off the press from Maybelline New York, it's new Lifter Plump, an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts. From eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Red Flag, Hot Honey, Cocoa Zing, and more, an extra-large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe. Learn more at Maybelline.com. For a limited time, get 10% off your Lifter Plump purchase on Amazon with code 10PLUMP. Hey guys, if you enjoy this episode, please support this podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Talco Supremo. You are now tuned in to TM2M, the number one podcast for true crime, murder, and Japanese torture techniques. And now your host, Nikwiz. Good morning, tacos. It's been nearly 25 years since popular news anchor Jody Husentrud vanished outside her apartment complex. Theories abound, including one of a creepy white van and even speculation of police involvement and a subsequent cover-up. Stay tuned for more details and even new developments in this cold case. And now we turn to Miss Jen Bongos with sports. Jen? Hello? I think she's still sleeping. That's exactly why I haven't had a sip yet. So this drink is called the Anchor Watch. And when I was looking for a drink, um, this is the first one that popped up. And I was like, I can do that, but I don't have that one of those ingredients. Then I found another one called the Amethyst Anchor, which sounded much more fun. And I was like, perfect. I still have to get that one ingredient. Um, But we have everything else. Except when I got back, I discovered that we didn't have everything else because we didn't have the blue curacao. We do have blue curacao. Where is it? It's in the cabinet. I didn't see it. It's in there. Alrighty, let's try this again. Alright, so the hint tonight was Anchor. This drink is called the Amethyst Anchor. Much better. Um, Still tastes weird. Yeah, it probably will taste weird. Jen, oh, what in the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it has an ingredient we've never used before. Strike two. Uh, <laughs> it kind of tastes like root beer. Does it? Is it like sassafras? No, it is creme de cassis, which is a black currant liquor. Hmm. I kind of like it. It's definitely better than the last one. So yeah, it is rum, blue curacao, creme de cassis, and ginger beer. Oh, okay. I can taste the ginger beer, too. Surprise shots, surprise shots. We don't know what they are, cause they're a surprise. <laughs> sounded like a choo-choo. Alrighty. Uh, I also picked out the shot, so. God. Oh boy. Let me guess, tequila. No. Why do we still drink on this podcast? Cheers. Cheers. I feel like that was just a beginning thing and we should just sober up now guess not oh fuck me strike three no (laughs) was that apple whiskey yes Mm, jack apple (laughs) jack apple japple it kind of tastes like apple juice we just got a message from somebody on instagram about how they love taking surprise shots with us so it's kind of our thing that's crazy we have an instagram (laughs) (laughs) she said come to toronto oh but don't tell nicole that you're going to Toronto because she hates Canada. I don't hate Canada. I just think Canada makes bad decisions when it comes to, you know, sentencing people. But 
I'm okay with going to Canada because I've recently discovered this show on Hulu. Not like I discovered it personally, but personally, I, I, I have started watching Letterkenny. And it's filmed in Ontario. Hmm. And the creator, Jared Kiso, is fine. So if any of our fans know him, or if you listen, Jared, you can find me at... You can find me. There'll be, there are ways. <laughs> you can find me. <laughs> there are ways. <laughs> uh, but I also but- said that... Um, I don't think we would survive in a car and driving all the way to Canada. Oh yeah, you guys, you guys can go to Canada in the car. No, I don't I'll fly. Go to fucking Canada. I'll the fly. Hell wants to go to Canada? I kind of do. Fans. Oh, I want to go to. <laughs> that, was, that was the whole point of how <laughs> we started shit. this conversation. I, I want to go to Canada because they have poutine there. And what? What the fuck is poutine? It's we've had it before. It's it's fries, fries with gravy, gravy and, and cheese. cheese. We released our tickets for our up-and-coming Charleston show last week and if you don't want to miss out then you need to buy them because they're gonna go like hot cakes you can also buy them and resell them uh, at a markup for a profit (laughs) (laughs) oh that's me that does that (laughs) wouldn't it be fucked up if I did that yeah I'm like outside scalping my own tickets (laughs) Pushing the price up. I'll, I'll pay $40. All right. Full transparency, everyone. Nicole knows this story. This is the second time that I asked for her help. Not because I couldn't do it myself, but some days I feel kind of lazy. So I asked for her help. The first episode she did help me was Kanika Jenkins. But that and this is the only two episodes that she knew beforehand. And, of course, Jen knows nothing. Even about the general statement, per usual. Jen knows nothing Jen about knows the episode, nothing. or Jen knows nothing. Period. Yeah. Um. All right. So I, I, I want to say that we're going to Ann Arbor, and there's a murder on the naval base there. Ooh. And this is in 1994. I do want to throw out a little trivia before we get started. I. Forgot to mention this on our last episode, the Bud Dwyer episode, but the filter song, Hey Man, Nice Shot, was actually inspired by the Bud Dwyer live suicide incident. So it's kind of a little tidbit That is so crazy, because we were watching watching Larry the Cable Guy the other day, and it was after- No, we were not. No, it was just the The Cable cable Guy. guy. Larry the Cable Guy is like that redneck. Oh, sorry. It's okay. All right, so we were watching- Jim Carrey in the Cable Guy, and that it was at right after we recorded the Hey Man I Shot. I think John was just about to put the episode out, and they played that song in the movie. And what a freaking coincidence! Yeah, that <laughs> we had just done the episode and we were just about to put it out, and we were watching this movie and it had that song. In yeah, it. I had forgot to mention that. I'm sorry, but yeah, there's a lot cool. of there's a lot of popular culture that has been inspired by that. All right, so tonight we're going to Mason City, Iowa, June 27th, 1995. Tonight we're talking about Jody Hoosentrout, and that's the last time I'm going to say her last name. From now on, I'm going to refer to her as Jody, J-O-D-I. Her last name is H-U-I-S-E-N-T-R-U-I-T. We're going to June 27th, 1995. It's a Tuesday, and we are coming up on the 25th anniversary of her disappearance this is a disappearance no, a, this is a nobody case 
No one knows if she's dead or alive. Most presume she's dead, though. Nicole, can you please describe for our audience what Jody looks like? She is 27. Oh. Describe her, damn it. Not her age. <laughs> well, I, that was what you would have me do. Was <laughs> to research by how she looks, her. she's exactly 27. <laughs> um, well, she is blonde. Um, she's got short blonde hair and like a news angry bob that's voluminous. Fair skinned, light eyes, and very pretty. Jody, 27 years old, she was a news anchor, and she was very well-liked within the Mason City community. She worked at KIMT. It's the news station, KIMT. And as you see in the picture right there, Jen, it says 6.05 a.m. She would actually go to work, leave her house at 3 a.m. to be on the air for these morning broadcasts. So, yeah. How do news stations get their letters? Holy shit, that is a really good question. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the uh, like the uh, frequencies or something. Like That's Boston I mean. is WBZ. Don't know. It's a great question. That's a great question, Jen. Can someone answer that for us, please? So she's working at KIMT. I asked Nicole to go into her background. And like I said, Nicole actually knows a story. She helped me on it. So, Nicole, please tell our audience about Jody Huizentroit. Well, she was 27 years old at the time of her disappearance. Uh, She was a Minnesota native and graduated from St. Cloud State University. She was an avid skier and moved to Mason City to become the morning and noon anchorwoman two years before she disappeared. Wait, isn't Minnesota directly somewhere near Iowa? West. No, it's northwest of it, I think. No, it's east. It's northeast. Is it connected? No, it's not. Actually, it's not near Iowa. I'm thinking it, of Indiana. Minnesota sits on top of Iowa. Does it? Yes. <laughs> Why? Am I, oh, I was thinking of Idaho. <laughs> I was thinking of Idaho. That's potatoes, not corn. Um, She was re- referred to as vivacious and fun, kind almost to a fault, like possibly naive is how um, friends and her sister referred to her as. The Quad City Times from Davenport, Iowa, on June 23rd of 1996, said, The blonde, petite, bubbly Hoosentrude was well-known and well-liked in the Mason City area. Her disappearance drew a community-wide response. Posters hung in store windows, yellow ribbons waved from the trees and light posts. Billboards shouted, Find Jody." And then I also have some diary entries from Jody. Ooh. Ooh, those diary entries were released to the media. I saw in one of the reports I was looking at, unbeknownst to the family. Wow. The diary entries kind of show her aspirations and ambitions of being a popular news anchor. You know what's sad to think about is that as a news anchor, you would imagine that she would typically be the one to report a missing person mm. and like how do you wrap your head around having to report that about your co-worker yeah that's a really good point because she actually had a co-worker that was the producer her name is amy coons which we're going to read some of her stuff and hear some of her interview here in a second but she was the one who had to report because if jody misses that morning broadcast She's got to step in for her. 
So the next day, when all the cops are doing the search and everyone knows she's missing, she's the one, her good friend, Amy Coons, is the one that has to report her missing, like what you just said. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, and she's still got to maintain a professional composure composure about it. The Globe Gazette on June 22nd, 2008, takes from her diary. Uh, She wrote this in early 1994. There is no time better than now to begin practicing being the best I can be and living the way I want to live. Throughout the first couple of months of 1994, Husentrut had lengthy entries in the journal. I love news, she wrote in a late January 1994 entry. Improve my career, make more money, communicate, have more impact on a larger audience. Get the Husentrut name out. Make mom proud. I need to give myself five years in business, Husentrut wrote. I'm not where I want to be. Her goals included anchoring at a top 50 television station, getting rid of her accent, living in a warm state, having enough money to travel, and buying nice gifts and being generous. In several entries, Jody wrote about male friends and a love of dancing. On a cruise, she met a man she liked. Why do I get hooked on so fast, she questioned. I'm lonely here at times and would like to have someone to share my life with. Sure, I meet men but none that really strikes me can relate. That's what I got for now. I'm going to go back to the journal entries when we get to a suspect. Here's some of the newscasts that Jody had made. I'm going to embed these on talkmore.com. I'm pulling a lot of this episode from one source and that is findjody.com. These are two of the reporters that worked with Jody. And after she went missing, I think it was probably like six or seven years after, but they created this website findjody.com and these guys compiled all the media all the documents of the case that they can get and it is the most comprehensive source out there about this case so highly recommend it and i'm gonna link that too so here's some of her earlier work as a news anchor it looks like this year's indian summer is playing the old magician act the sunny temperatures are here one day then they disappear the next This weekend's high temperatures definitely will not be in reach today. Skies are currently cloudy with a cool breeze setting in. Precipitation is likely to hit later on this afternoon. Taking a look at today's forecast. Today's forecast shows mostly windy and cool temperatures (laughs) with scattered showers. Our high is expected to be in the upper 60s. The clouds will continue through this evening. Showers will end, but the windy and cool temperatures will prevail. She seems to be growing. A record 31 mining and exploration companies have submitted 504 bids for the lease of mineral rights on state land. Bids opened yesterday at Iron World in Chisholm will be finalized in December. Royalties received from the bids will be given to the 11 counties involved in the sale. She seems still uh, well, kind of nervous when yeah. she is reporting. Um, well, this is reporting. her first go around, yeah. Ah. She is nervous, yeah. I- you know, it's what's interesting to I me. I think that's when she was still in college, too. Well, maybe right after. Got it. What's interesting to me is that she mentioned in her diary how she wanted to get rid of her accent, but a lot of the times news anchors, news agencies I have heard look for people with like a Midwestern accent Hmm. as opposed to a Boston accent or a Southern accent. They like the Midwestern accent. And I want to give a shout out because we were in Raleigh. Greenville. Greenville. And we had two news anchors that were there mm-hmm. at the show. 
You could so, tell as soon as they open their mouth to read. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I, I literally was like, oh my gosh, are you a news reporter? And she was like, yeah. All right, Tuesday, June 27th, 1995. 3 a.m. is normally when Jody leaves her home, which, yes, 3 a.m. Woof. That is three hours after midnight. <sighs> I used to wake up that early, actually, in the... Uh, in the military. I bet. We would get in formation like at 4.30, I think. Ugh. Yeah. I used to want to be in the military after I watched Cadet Kelly. Well, I joined after I watched Stripes by Bill Murray. Speaking of which, this is the second time I've shouted you out and you still will not answer my phone you, calls. You still haven't shown up to the house, Bill. We're, we're like 10 minutes away, Tops. Uh, but we, how does he know our address? He just, he'll find a way. It's Bill Murray. She was supposed to leave her home at 3 a.m. At 4 a.m., her producer calls her phone. Now, around this time when she's supposed to be at work, there's only three people in the whole news station. I mean, you saw the news station. It's a tiny building, basically. Mm -hmm. There's the master controller, which is the guy that works the electronics. There's Amy Coons and Jody. The two news anchors. One's the producer and one's the anchor. But the producer, Amy, could sub in for Jody if she wasn't there, if she was sick or something. I think that's how they work all of the news anchors. I'm not sure, though. So like they have a, a lifeline substitute. Right. The master controller, is that like the teleprompter person that controls the teleprompter? Do they rehearse the news or is it all live? Like I, I think know, it's all live. Sometimes breaking news comes in when they're reading the news, but if she has to be there three hours before the news starts, no, no, no. It's I think she, the, the news like goes on air before six. Oh, I think, but she has to be there by three. She's got to leave her house by three because her and the producer has to put all the stories together and make sure everything's good before they go on air. I think they go on air at six. I'm not sure though, but. I know it's a lot of preparation because they literally get the stories that morning because that's what breaking news is. They want to get the stories that are happening right now, you know. It was just a regular routine phone call. I called her at 10 after 4. I said, Jode, are you awake? Are you coming into work? She goes, what time is it? You know, the typical question. So what happens is Amy subs in for Jody and she goes on the air. And then after the newscast, she gets off the air and realizes that Jody still has not come in yet. Then there is a problem. She knows that Jody should have been here. It's not like her to completely not come in like this. So some of the other producers go to her house and then they call the police because they do find her car and what seems to be like a struggle that happened in the parking lot. So, Jen, I'm going to show you some of the pictures right now of the evidence from the outside of her apartment. I'm also putting these on talkmore.com, so be sure to go and check those out. What you're looking at now is in the parking lot. That is actually a drag mark from her high heel that she was wearing. Mm. Do you see how it's kind of indented? Mm -hmm. So the police get there and can immediately see that she was most likely hit on the top of the head when she left her apartment building, which I'm going to show you more of the apartment here in a second. And then she was dragged probably by her hair and placed in someone's vehicle. This picture you're seeing right now is the drag marks of her heels kind of indenting the parking lot. Of her complex? Or yeah, of the, of the complex. I'm going to show you that in a second. When Jody usually leaves her work, 
She carries a bunch of things with her. This right here, can you tell what this is? A hair dryer. A hair dryer, yes. So this was found at the scene of the crime, too. It's her hair dryer. This is the key to her Mazda Miata. So the theory was she was putting the key inside of her Mazda Miata, the door, and someone blitzed attacked her. That's kind of what, that's the terminology the the investigators use, blitz. It's like the German blitz, Mm -hmm. really quick. She didn't know it was coming, probably from behind, hit her on the back of the head. You know, it's interesting, the fact that she was abducted before work would make you think that it's someone that was probably watching her and knew her routine. Mm. Oh, shit, yeah. That's a really good point. I've heard that a lot in some of the reports and documentaries I watched about this. In fact, Otherwise, that's the, who else is out and about at 3 Yeah, right. 3 in the morning. And not only that, someone that knew her routine, but that would also mean that they would have to wait an extra hour because, remember, she overslept and be waiting for when the sun's coming up so it kind of makes them more vulnerable because the longer they're there, the more likely they can get caught. So if they were watching her, stalking her, they know that she didn't wake up and leave at 3 a.m. She left at 4. So they would have to wait even longer, which is... So the alternative is that it was somebody who was like in the right place at yeah. the right time and yeah, yeah, saw yeah. her and knew that it was 4 yeah. a.m. and nobody else was going to be exactly. around. And that's the argument with... The stranger theory hmm. is that if it wasn't a random stranger, then that person would have to wait for her to wake up. But if she had and risk being seen, if she had no one, no like if she was her family members, you said it described her as you know kind to a fault or hot off the press from maybelline new york it's new lifter plump an intense plumping lip gloss formulated with chili pepper to deliver a heated sensation for an instant plumping effect that lasts from eight sizzling shades like blush blaze red flag hot honey cocoa zing and more an extra large wand applicator transforms lips in one swipe learn more at maybelline.com for a limited time get 10 percent off your lifter plump purchase on amazon with code 10 plump you know, naive. Mm. It could have been like someone that watched her on the news. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, if, if no one would have, if no one had a motive to take her, if there was no reason to be to take her, maybe there, maybe it was someone that was upset about something that she reported on the news, or they watched mm. her, or they became obsessed with her after watching her on the news for so long. Someone that would be up at that time to get her, you know, saying, oh, well, she's going to be on the news pretty soon, so I got to get up early to, to, to nab her. This is her apartment right here. You see, this is her car. This Mazda Miata right here, this mm-hmm. red one. So she actually walked down here. If you can, if you guys want to go to talkmer.com to see what I'm talking about, hmm. she's it's right, right by, by the-, the door. Yeah. She's on the second floor. And I'll show you a little video of the apartment in a second, but there's a lot of windows mm-hmm. facing this. So if the kidnapper was in the parking lot, he's being very brazen because there's a lot of windows there and he they could easily see his car and i would imagine that the stairway would be lighted since it's an indoor stairway and it looks like their overhang maybe was was well lit too and there was a light in the parking lot 
the fact that it was so close to the car, I think it would be much harder for that to be a perfect stranger. Right. Because she did not have very far to go. Right. Like, the person would have had to have been right there and just be like, oh, this is my shot. Very randomly. I, it kind of makes me lean more towards this person knew her and yeah. knew her car mm-hmm. and was waiting for her. Real quick, can you describe for our audience the outlay of the apartment here and what the kidnapper had to be dealing with. So this is the apartments that she was in. This is her car. That's her Mazda Miata right there. Oh, so wait, was her car right outside the door? Yeah, it was right outside the door. So where this news anchor is walking from. Oh, that's the other entrance. Yeah, that's the other entrance. So he walked or so she walked to the car door there's a couple buildings there's a couple buildings but there's a lot of windows too like front facing windows Mm -hmm. that would be able to see someone just sitting there waiting for her not only that but would it be able to see or hear someone that was in distress yeah there is one resident that did come forward and say that he saw a vehicle do you want to guess what type of vehicle that is a van a van like our logo. Yeah. So this is the white Ford Econoline van, mid-80s. That's the exact same van that's on our logo, but ours is mm, brown. Yeah. That exact same Econoline model. That's the van that one of the residents, who I think is suspicious as hell, he says that he saw when he was hmm. up at 4 a.m. doing God knows what. But here he is right now talking about that. It also looks like it could be an old news van. Randy Linderman was driving to work when he saw a suspicious van in the parking lot of Jody's apartment. Right about here, the parking lights were on. No, I think it was far enough over so no one could get by with another vehicle. Oh, you mean like his Ford Econoline van? Yeah, I know. That's what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? He's <laughs> like, uh, can we... <laughs> Can we, you know what, I I don't think they actually did anything with this guy. They should go back and look at this guy, man. It's fucking creepy, dude. You know, but why, I don't know. Yeah, he has his same fucking van. Linderman's explanation of the van helped police put together this picture. It was used by the local media. Jesus. Linderman, fucking killer right there. All right. Okay, well, speculative. Allegedly. (laughs) Is he alive still? I don't know. Now I'm looking at the timeline from findjody.com and let's go and let's talk about the day before. This is Monday, June 26, 1995. She had a news broadcast at 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. So, yeah, she obviously goes on at 6 a.m. At 9 a.m., she represents the KIMT TV annual Mason City Chamber of Commerce golf tournament. She's very athletic and she's an accomplished golfer. At 3.30 p.m., she's at the country club, and there's about 200 people there that seen her. At 8.24, she calls her friend who lives in Mississippi. Her name is Kelly. She wasn't there, but she talked to her husband, who said she sounded like she was in good spirits. At 9 p.m., around 9 p.m., she showed up at John Van Sice's house, a much older friend, like creepy old. He's like 50, and she's 27 Anyway, not nothing, nothing off-putting there. I mean, some girls like older dudes, you know. 
she goes over to his house because he had recently threw her a birthday party. He's a local businessman. He's got money, stuff like that. He throws her a birthday party. There's a cameraman there. He films everything. And then he invites her over to his house that Monday night to watch the videotape they made from the birthday party. Now, apparently at this time, as multiple friends of Jody corroborated, she actually told this guy, John Van Sice, that she just wanted to be friends. So friends on mm. this dude. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then the next morning, she's gone. Oh. Now, he does admit that she was at his apartment the night before, and he actually passed the lie detector test and everything else. But he did end up picking up everything and moving to Arizona right after this happened. Interesting. And, Nicole, you looked up some stuff about him earlier, so if you want to tell us what you found. You know what's interesting? I'm sorry to interrupt, but lie detector tests, while mostly reliable, are not foolproof because they actually what they do is they measure your body's stress response and if you're lying you're most likely very like stressed out about them discovering the truth the original lie detector test which was actually created by the same man who created the wonder woman series yes that wonder woman was like strapped strapped around your heart and it measured your heart rate so it doesn't necessarily measure what if what you're saying is true but your body's reaction in the response to the question is your stress level so he is a person of interest in this case supposedly one of her closest friends and they lived in the same apartment complex mm. that's how they knew each other okay uh, he was 20 years older than her and they shared some mutual interests like water skiing. And he supposedly also enjoyed spending a lot of time with her and her friends. Now, he was single. He was divorced. And she had uh, actually confided in her family at one point that she felt like he was interested in her or might be starting to be interested in her. In 2017, there was a search warrant for GPS data from 1999 Honda Civic and a 2013 GMC 1500. Um, the warrant is sealed, um, but supposedly he is one of the last people to see her alive. Hmm. This is from the Globe Gazette. He videotaped a birthday party he threw for Husentrude just days before her disappearance. Van Sice said that Husentrude was at his house the night before her disappearance, watching that tape. Van Sice passed a polygraph test shortly after Husentrude's disappearance on June 27, 1995. Husentrude told a colleague that she was on her way to work early that morning but never showed up. Police found signs of a struggle outside her Mason City apartment. So, you know how I was reading some journal entries mm-hmm. before? She He actually makes an appearance oh. in her journal entries. Oh, really? Steamy. Leading in the days leading up to her disappearance. What did it say? So this is from the Globe Gazette in uh, June 22nd, 2008. The final three entries in the journal, June 12th, 13th, and 25th, include the name of John Van Sice, a friend who police have questioned in the case. Sunday, June 11th, 1995. 
What a weekend surprise. My Mason City Clear Lake friends threw a big party for me at a lounge wild. It was in Clear Lake. They had a 16-gallon keg, huge cake with a skier. So much left. John Van Sice grilled 150 pork burgers. We were dancing on tables, dancing everywhere. Everyone had a ball. Video camera was rolling. Cameras were clicking. Oh, what fun. Life is so good. The party made me feel so good. Tuesday, June 13th, 1995. Last night, John and I went to the Glenn Miller Orchestra in Belmond. I have so many great viewers. People are so kind. This nice weather has me wild. I bought a new Mazda Miata. Simply love it. Wait. She bought that Miata? Because I read one report where one of her friends, like John Van Sant, bought the car for her. Does she say in her diary that she bought it? It says, I bought a new Mazda Miata. Interesting. I read one report that says someone bought that for her. Hmm. Well, either way, it she, it was purchased very shortly before her death or missing appear, disappearance. Yeah, very, very soon. Maybe um, she was just saying, like, say, putting that in her diary to make her feel like she's... Yeah. Like, yeah. I got it for myself because it, it's a... But it's your diary, car. though. Like, it's like lying yeah. to yourself, you know? Sunday, June 25th, 1995. Got home from a weekend road trip to Iowa City. Oh, we had fun. It was wild, partying and water skiing. We skied at the Coralville Res. I'm improving on the skis. Hips up, lean, etc. John's son, Trent, gave me some great ski tip advice. Today, Sunday, it was raining in Mason City, so I didn't get any skiing in. I love it. It's addicting. Great friends, but professionally, I'm fed up. It's difficult finding a new job, and I'm confused about agent and what to do. Two days later, Tuesday, June 27, 1995, Susan Trude left for work early in the morning but never arrived. She has been missing since that day. I also want to share this interesting article from the Quad City Times that was published in uh, December 15th of 2018. Uh, talking about this guy again. In 1995, Van Sice told CBS he and Hoosentrude were so close, he'd give her the shirt off his back. I just loved watching her have fun. I tried to watch over her. I tried to check in on her once in a while. Not all the time, just once in a while. See how she's getting along, Van Sice said. If you ever go in her apartment and you see men's clothes, they're mine. If I had a shirt she liked, you know I'd wear it for a while, and I'd give it to her. This guy may not have done it, but dude, if you're listening to this, you're a fucking creep, bro. I think he was definitely into her. Whether or not he, I think that's pretty clear. He, he, he holy shit! Number one, she's 27, and you're like 60, and 47. You're a fucking creep. Yes. Okay. You are a fucking creep. I don't. Even if you didn't do it, you're still a creep. Yeah. You are a fucking piece of shit creep. Yes. Anyway, so that's this what is I got on that guy. Oh, and he lives in Arizona now, and now he has advanced Alzheimer's. Oh. Oh, now I feel like shit. This is John Van Sice right here. We watched the video, and then after the video was over, we talked about a few things. Talked about my daughter who's in Italy this summer, and then she. Uh, we talked about water skiing this week, and then from there on, oh, she went down the stair steps and went around the back and got in her car and went home. That's the last I've seen of her. 
Now let's talk about some other theories. This is just a overview of the case in general. If you really want to know everything about this case, go to the podcast Find Jody. They just released their second episode. As I said before, this is the 25th anniversary of Jody going missing, and they're covering everything from the outset. And actually, the reason I wanted to do this specific episode is to shine some light on this case because this is a case that can be solved and I think it will be solved. They don't have much evidence as far as fingerprints and stuff like that. They do have a palm print and I don't know if they ruled oh. out John Van Sice with the palm print or not. I couldn't find that, but you would think they would already have done that. And they have ruled out a couple people with the palm print that they recovered. It was from the top of her Miata. But I'm going to go through a couple more little theories. Now, the first one comes from her sister. And as Jen said earlier, she may have had a stalker. She was very attractive. She's an up-and-comer in the news. She's broadcasting to however many people, probably like 50,000 or more, I'd imagine. You know, who knows who's watching, how many creepy guys out there are watching. But this is her sister in an interview that she did about a stalker that was following Jody. Oh, well, that seems like it'd be a good lead. Well, the first incident was when that it was broad daylight and she was followed by the black truck. Let me quickly brush over two other theories. One was Tony Jackson. He's in prison now. He's a serial rapist that was in the area at the time. Now, apparently they ruled him out completely. The police. Mm. So I didn't even really go down that road. Another one was a guy named Thomas Corskaden. He was another serial rapist working in the area. Uh, apparently he was ruled out as well. Another rabbit hole that you could go down was the drug ring theory. Kind of like the bald dead member that um, mm. bald dead member. The cop may have came across some drugs mm. being run on that island. Yep. It's the same thing, but for this, people think that Jody may have been close to breaking a case and delivering new information about some drug runners and some drug activity in the neighborhood. So those are some of the theories, and I want to say that John Vanzenheis is pretty much the prime suspect. That's who everyone really thinks it is but I, i'm not so sure yeah i do want to say one thing not even a year ago findjody.com they had put up several signs in the vicinity of where she was abducted from and one of them did get vandalized and i find this very interesting see if you can read that for our audience someone knows something is it you frank don's Machine shed? shed? The billboard you're looking at, and I'm going to put this on talkmer.com. The original design says, Someone knows something. Is it you? And then it shows the picture of Jody. Then it says, findjody.com. That is the original billboard. That's what it says. And someone had went with some yellow spray paint and wrote the word Frank Stearns Machine Shed. Now, Frank Stearns was the investigator of the case. Hmm. And he does have a machine shed in his property. And here's some more of the backing details that implement this guy and another law enforcement officer as well. Hmm. So. Well, you would think that 
the that law enforcement and the news work together regularly. Right. This is from 2011globegazette.com. This right here is a former Mason City police officer, Maria Oy. O-H-L. Oil. 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 So weird. She was terminated from her job on August 4th, 2011, and she claims that she was terminated because she knew too much about the Jody case, and she had information that could break the case. Such as? She's a 10-year veteran. She was on the police force for 10 years before she was terminated. Now, this is some of the quotes that she said, if you want to read this, Nicole. This is from the Globe Gazette. Ohl, a 10-year veteran, said she received credible information from an informant in 2007 and again in 2009 who implicated Lieutenant Frank Stearns, Lieutenant Ron Vandeweerd, and Bill Basler in the abduction. Ohl said she told her superiors, but heard only crickets. Ohl said they terminated her due to her handling of Jody's case information. It's horrifically disturbing. They're still working on the taxpayer's dollar. The whistleblower was put on administrative leave and terminated. Wait, wasn't that her? Was she the whistleblower? Yeah, she's a whistleblower. I don't I mean, she's saying that, like, saying, like, of course, they're going to put the whistleblower off on administrative leave and fire me. I haven't seen any conclusive evidence. And this findjody.com, they don't really believe it's her. I think they interviewed her and there's no credibility Well, I wonder, remember that thing with the the reporter that we watched and we were like, what the fuck? The way she said it, maybe she thought that it was them, too. I'm intrigued by that one. Yeah, so let me go over the case in a nutshell so far. Jody, 27, she worked Mason City at KIMT. A Tuesday morning at 4 a.m., she walks out of her apartment. She goes to put her keys into her Mazda Miata. She gets abducted from behind, most likely got hit on the head or something. Now, I do want to say that A few neighbors did hear a scream around that time, but no one did call the police. She didn't come in for work. Her producer took her slots. Her name was Amy Coons. She actually calls Jody at 3 a.m. before she was abducted and kind of wakes her up. Then the police come after Jody doesn't show up for work the whole day. And then we went over some of the suspects, and that's kind of where we are now. It's a nobody case. No one knows if she's dead or alive, but 99% of people presume she's dead, obviously. Yeah. Most of this case is just speculation, so I didn't want to go too far down one theory or one rabbit hole. So I just kind of gave you the overview. If you're really interested in this case, I definitely recommend going checking out the Find Jody podcast. They just released their second episode like two days ago, and they're going to release more and more. And I'm, I can promise you they're going to have all the information you could find anywhere on this case so jim what questions do you have i think you guys did a pretty good job covering that's really not a question jen <laughs> well i you know me i ask my questions when they come to my mind well i think you missed that she what has been pronounced dead even yeah though she they was pronounced dead in 2001 i believe mm. so about six years later and that's pretty much normal yeah i mean everyone pretty much knows she's dead they couldn't get any tire traces on in the parking lot of her complex or you don't really get tire tracks unless you're in the dirt or you like spin out like got it i mean you don't leave tire tracks in the uh driveway you know what i'm saying i don't know 
I do think they will solve this case. It is still an open investigation, so we don't know everything they have. You know, maybe they have some hair samples and stuff like that. Who knows? I do know that they have a partial palm print, and at the time, in 1995, they couldn't do anything with it, but luckily, whoever was running the forensic lab back then decided to get it anyway because I think the only people that were using it at the time was like the FBI and it was still a new thing. You know, palm prints and new. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you like this story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our anchor, go to talkmer.com slash join. Become a talk host primo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker, swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it and I'll dedicate it to you, baby. Right here on the Talk Murder Me podcast. My name is John here with Jen and Nicole. And until next time. I'm Veronica Corningstone. Tits McGee is on vacation. Thank you.